Hello, I'm Jeff Johnston. Welcome to the Living Undeterred podcast. Today, I'm very excited to introduce a friend of mine. Um, it's interesting. I have so many new friends now that I've actually never met face to face. Um, that's one of the, the beauties of COVID is I expanded my friendship base exponentially, but I still have yet to meet a number of these people individually. And I know that is uh, in the horizon and I haven't announced yet my big adventure coming up next summer, but uh, Mr. Anthony Eaton, Eaton will be a part of, uh, part of my opportunity to meet a lot of people. Um, so with that, for those that are new to the Living Undeterred Story, briefly I'll tell you a little bit how I came up with this, uh, this name and this mindset. Uh, approximately this October will be five years ago that we lost our oldest son, Seth, to a heroin overdose. And right when that happened, I thought I was bulletproof. I thought I could easily, not easily, but I thought I could get by this uh, trauma and adversity that was pretty much presented to me as an opportunity. But what I didn't know is how long it would take. And I went immediately straight downhill. My alcoholism ratcheted up to uh, massive abuse considered at times suicide, um, although I wouldn't say I had suicidal ideation. Maybe you can help me uh, later define the difference, Anthony, but I knew how many seconds it took me to get to my safe, take my Beretta out, and shoot me in the forehead. I, I knew that. It took seven and a half seconds. So, um, and I realized at some point, I, that's not a good plan. I don't want to go down that road. So, what I did is I decided to take what I say the better road as, as opposed to the bitter road. And this started this amazing journey of meeting people like my guest today, writing a book, starting a nonprofit, things that just transcended me to this amazing realm of uh, optimism, inspiration, motivation. And it's actually made me a better human being. Uh, this whole process has made me really appreciate living, be in awe and respect death. And I bumped into Anthony probably in some type of a conversation on LinkedIn and asked him to connect and the rest is history. Him and I have had many, many, many conversations and I really, really value his insight on a, a couple few topics that we'll discuss today. So with that, I'm going to introduce our guest today, Anthony Eaton from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I think, right? In Texas? Correct. And Anthony yes. is a, Thanks, Jeff. I'm going to say the acronyms. I know kind of what they mean, but I'm going to have you explain to our, our watchers, our followers, what uh, what they mean. Anthony's a PHR, SHRM-CP, which I think just means you're really darn good at uh, at um, human resources. Is that correct? Yeah, that would that would be the uh, layman's uh, definition of what I do. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an HR professional and I've been in the field for, I'm going to age myself here, um, <laughs> almost 30 years now. And so uh, what I do today is uh, employee relations, uh, performance management, and investigations. I think when you and I met, I, I was probably either responding to something you had posted, and it could have been in the, in the uh, addiction, uh, alcohol abuse type area. You, you also do um, a lot of really great interviews, and that's another thing that really got me interested. I, I've I think I've read every interview you've posted on LinkedIn. Um, some tremendous people, really diverse people, uh, anywhere from rugby stars to actors, um, some really neat people. And I was 
honored to be one of those people. Uh, talked to you a while back uh, on some different topics. Yeah. And definitely wanted to reciprocate that and get you on my show because you have a very interesting story. And I think what I'm trying to do to promote this living undeterred mindset goes a lot into what you talk about with people about optimism, resiliency, mental toughness, self-confidence. Um, and then my youngest son, Roman, kind of got uh, catapulted into this new area that, that I had to I had to learn a lot about as a dad. And so I reached out to you. I was able to meet a gentleman and we did a show called An Act of Love with Roman and, um, and Butch, which really made me appreciate the friendships I have online. And I consider you one of those people, Anthony. So with that, why don't, why don't you tell everybody why you think I drug you on my show? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Um, well, I think for the reason that you describe, I think we have a similar approach to things of wanting to put something positive back into the world, give something back. And so... This is the format that you have chosen, obviously, and I, and I have chosen it through my writing. And I actually have started writing um, probably back in 2014. It was an outgrowth of the professional work I do in HR. So I found that, you know, leaders that I was working with were struggling to be good leaders. It wasn't that they didn't want to. It was that in many cases they didn't know how because they didn't have the experience or the tools in their proverbial toolbox mm -hmm. that they needed. So I started just doing some things like one, you know, helping them start their day on a positive note. So I started out by just really posting quotes um, that I found were inspirational or motivational to start the day. And then after I did that for a little while, I thought, well, you know, I'd like to do something more. So I thought, well, I wonder if I interview leaders about kind of what their journey has been, mm -hmm. um, how they got to where they're at, what are some of the obstacles that they have encountered. And I look for people who weren't just traditional leaders. Um, in fact, my first interview was with an author who wrote a, a book, um, Michael Thomas Sunderberg. And it was really, uh, the goal was to take somebody's story and share that, right? Mm -hmm. So that other leaders might be able to say, oh, I've had that experience, right? I can relate to that. But that's a different approach uh, to what I'm doing. And so it's, it's just evolved. And I, I did interviews like that, uh, leadership focused for a number of years. And then this year, I branched out a little bit from that and well, probably quite a bit from that and really started to incorporate other things that were of interest to me. So as you said, I've interviewed, uh, you know, a rugby star turned actor, producer, writer, a couple actors who had a short comedy series on uh, Netflix and, and such. Um, and then other people like in the LGBT community, mm -hmm. um, some activists. And again, this, the theme is the same, right? Wanting to tell their story because I think that's how we all learn. Um, and that's, I think, how we connected actually is I think I read something you posted about what was going on with you and your experience with the loss of Seth. Yeah. And, you know, I thought I'd, I'd, I'd like to talk to this guy and, and hear this um, and so that kind of brings us to where we're at today, I guess. Yeah. 
It's interesting. I've been struggling with an incident that happened to me recently. I'll be very vague here, but my point will be clear. Where there was an insensitive comment directed to me in regards to this person's misunderstanding how I can not glorify Seth's death, but how I could do things in, in, in the insinuation is I'm, I'm profiting off of, off of my son's death. And I know it came from a place of despair. This person wasn't really in a good mental state when they said this comment. But it hit me pretty hard. I thought, you know, I wonder if more people think that. I wonder if more people think that, you know, I'm, I, I couldn't just let him die. I just, I have to keep going. I have to keep going. And part of me got sucked into that dynamic, Anthony. And I had to, I had to decompress. I went out my deck for about half an hour and just kind of did an extra meditation, an unguided session. I just closed my eyes and just tried to think of two or three people that I care about and think of really good thoughts. And that gets my brain distracted to get out of the moment of getting all worked up when I'm angry. I've learned that through meditation. I can do that on a whim. And I realized that as much, as angry, as, as insensitive as that statement was, that somebody could say something, hey, Jeff, I can't believe you're, I can't believe you're doing this. And I was just set back because I thought, wait, doing what? I'm doing what every dad does, right? I'm doing what everybody does. Now, most people just, when they lose a child, they just bury him and move on. And you're out there flaunting it and putting it in people's faces all day long. I've never looked at it that way, but it actually got me thinking, maybe I need to present this narrative a little less aggressively. So even in the middle of something like that, Anthony, I've, I've kind of learned to um, try to understand somebody's perspective, even if I simply, I, even if I don't get it, if I don't get it. Um, so when you work with HR and you work with a lot of, you work a lot of, I want, maybe psychology is a good word. You work with the psychology of people. I, I, um, I think so. Although I'm not a, a professional in, you know, psychology, a lot of what I do is really digging beneath the surface, right. And trying to understand what a situation is, what's driving a particular behavior. Um, you know, a, a lot of why, uh, employees are doing the things that they do. And so, yes, through that, it's, I guess that's a, a psychological kind of evaluation of the situation. And I understand what so you're is it normal for me to feel? Is it normal for me to feel that way when someone makes a statement like that? I, I think, yes. Um, I think you approach it in the right way of trying to understand it, though, because, you know, we all view things from our own perspective and you and I talked about this before mm -hmm. you know you studies have been done people who see an, an accident a car accident five people from five different vantage points they all see something different that happened and that's because we approach things with all the many filters that we have uh, as part of being human and so the way we process is going to be different and so while this individual said to you, I can't believe that you're, you're doing this and you can't let go and, and such, that's from their, you know, their perspective, their experience and, and how they cope with situations yeah. where, you yeah. know, other people want to talk about it. I, I can give you a great example similar to what you're describing. My 
uncle when his mother passed away and we all gathered after the service um, she had written a couple books of poetry and so we wanted to kind of honor her and, and read a couple poems out of the book he sure. he didn't care for that because he hmm. he you know he just didn't want to do that he was like he wanted to move away from it but for the rest of us mm -hmm. we felt like you know it was maybe somewhat cathartic or it was honoring yeah, absolutely honoring yeah. who she had been um, and I think that's similar to what, you know, you're doing with Seth. It's not the, you know, Seth's death isn't the sum of who he was as a person or his entire life, right? It's, Absolutely. it's one element. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's the final element. But do we define individuals by one moment in time? Um yeah, you know, I had this point, conversation, in fact, uh, with one of the actors that I interviewed and said, you know, one of the questions I asked was, who do you admire um, in the industry? And initially he gave kind of this, this, this pat answer and didn't really name anybody. But then he came back and he said, you know, I, I, I want to answer that different, but I feel like I need to really explain my answer. And I said, mm -hmm. okay. So his response was, you know, I admire, um, uh, uh, now I'm drawing a blank, who is the uh, uh, actor in Braveheart? You know, I'm speaking of... Oh, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Yep. But I don't know how people will take that because of everything that has happened with him in recent years. Yeah, yeah. And so that, that raises a question, you know, do we throw everything that somebody did that was good do we throw that all away because of bad decisions that they made or yeah you know i may not like uh mel gibson as a person but right. i can certainly res respect the talent and the creativity that he has created so i think it's a slippery slope when we define people by singularities right um oh mm -hmm. they did this or they did that uh, you know, people in glass houses shouldn't throw rocks, right? right Who of us right. Has, has not done something that uh, we're not proud of? Right. That's part yeah. of life, I um, think. Perfect segue for my next topic is you're obviously a writer. And I read a very, a very interesting article. And I, you'll remember it very quickly because you and I conversed on um, social media but it was the, the idea of the pink triangle. And I don't remember the name of the article. What was it called? Um, it was uh, Reclaiming a Symbol of Hate. Yeah. And where I'm going with this, and I, I would like to have you comment a little bit about sure. that motivation behind that article. I thought it was tremendously well written. It was, you know, as, as a, a father of a gay son, I, I, I all of a sudden stepped into that arena and read it from a whole different perspective if I was a father of, you know, uh, three heter heterosexual sons, you know, um, my lens was flipped when Roman said he was gay. All of a sudden, now I read more articles about this with a much more interest. So the concept of cancel culture, when you write something like that and you talk about the Nazis, I think it was in your in your article and, and about, um, uh, you know, the concentration camps, which isn't anything that's, you know, uh, 
bad to talk about, but right. and then you sprinkled in homosexuality and, and gay, and and it was just like I'm, I'm wondering if I'm reading this. When you write things like this, do you feel like you have to, you're walking on eggshells, or do you got to dance around certain angles because you're afraid someone's going to take it the wrong way? Because those are a lot of sensitive topics in one article. Yeah, they are. Um, you know, my approach to that was more from the standpoint of, you know, I'm of. I hate to say it now because it makes me feel old, but I'm of a certain generation, <laughs> right? I mean, I was, I was a teenager in the early mid to late eighties. So very different. So, was I. so very different time yep. from where we live now, especially for somebody who is out or coming out. And, you know, when I initially came across the pink triangle, I mean, I didn't know the historical context of it back then. It would only be later mm -hmm. that I would learn that. And I thought it was interesting because I wonder how many young people understand what that symbolism is and the uniqueness of it in the sense that here is something that the Nazis took to mark a certain group of people. And they did it with other groups and other colors of triangles right. and symbols. Um, but they use this symbol to mark a specific group to identify them. Um, and there was a ranking to this in terms of who's less desirable in society. And that was a way to ostracize them, to attack them, um, mm. also to, you know, have the public see them because they yeah. had to wear this. It was like the Jews having to wear the Star of David um, in public. So everybody knew, your neighbors knew that you were branded this way. But the unique thing is that the gay community took that symbol and they transformed it into something that was meaningful to them, yeah. to us, to say, right. you know, this is our power, right? Um, we survived this, and, you know, when, when we see this, uh, it has a specific meaning for us as a community. And you can't say that about, I, I, I tried to think of other symbols that have been transformed in such a way, and I just couldn't yeah. think of it, you know? And so I thought it was very interesting mm. and wanted to share that perspective. And, and like you, other people said, you know, I didn't know that. And I thought, well, that's, yeah, that's a, a, great piece article. Of, it's a piece of history that I think, regardless how you feel about that period of time and everything or the politicization, politicization of it um the lgbt community we we need to understand our history because if you don't know where you came from you you don't really understand the importance of where you're trying to go right so yeah people don't understand how hard it was how how hard it was to fight for those things and each generation's struggle to get to where we have today and how fragile that is. I completely get the desire to improve. There's, there's no question. Yet I see people today that forgot how bad people had it in the past. Absolutely. And if you take, if you take pretty much any, you know, gay, you know, female, black, Asian, whatever it is, 
and I and I'm saying this from a from a perspective of a white heterosexual male born in Iowa. Yeah. So you know, I, I'm in a pretty freaking protected bubble. I I get that. Full disclosure. Right. I'm not ignorant. I'm not blind. I understand that. But if you were to say, okay, go back 50 years in any of those, you know, black, uh, uh, gay, woman, Asian, whatever it is, anything other than me, basically, and go back, would you go back? Absolutely not. Or, 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 do, you th- or do you think today, even though we, we got so much room to go for, we, I mean, we have so much room to improve. And I still, I still have not anyone answered that question. Yeah, I would go back to the 70s you know, as a black American, or I would go back to the 1800s as a, as a woman. I mean, again, I'm not coming from a sense of ignorance. I know about this history. I, I have lots of friends on all sides of all fences, and most of them would tell me the same thing. Oh, yeah, we have it better today. Yeah, I, I think that's the, uh, you know, when people say, oh, I, I was born in the wrong time, you know, I should have been born in the 20s. It's the romanticizing of oh, yeah. an era, yep. right? This, yep. those, those great things about that time, because every time has great things about it, but you know, you over, you're, you're missing the point. And so this is, I think a very important conversation because as you said, white privileged male, just by the fact of being male and being white, we are privileged, um, through succession in history, right? Regardless of your economic, socioeconomic status, all of that, just that, that in and of itself makes us privileged over every other group of people that has ever been marginalized or repressed in history. And so that's where I think we have a responsibility to understand the past and what has occurred by those who came before us. Yeah, I didn't personally do that. You know, I would like to think that I would never do that. But I'm doing the I'm doing myself, first of all, and then, you know, my fellow human beings a disservice if I don't understand the history of that. Um, yeah. How can I understand your perspective as a woman or a person of color or disability, you know, if I'm not going to educate myself and it's not, it's not your responsibility to educate me. Right. Yeah. Um, people think, well, you know, you, you have to let me know. Uh, not really. I mean, if you want to ask questions, I think that's great. We have that dialogue, but it's not, you know, it's not my job or Roman's job to educate the world about the LGBT right. community. Right, right. I, I, you know, again, this this can get into a very dicey topic yeah. since it's my show and I really can't be canceled. I'm not too worried about it. Um, And, and I have friends of every type of possible, you know, <laughs> uh, Every, I have friends across the spectrum. My best friends are all over the place. Right. Um, and I kind of like to think that way, that I'm fairly uh, receptive to that, and I'm open-minded to pretty much about anything. Um, am I privileged that I have a child deceased from heroin? You know? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people that haven't gone through that. Yeah. You know? And I would put that up there as a very traumatic event. Am I, you know, and I, I can't go back 100 years and say my grandfather did X, uh, or he was take, or, or he was on the other side of the fence. Thus, now I feel like 
somebody owes me something. Does someone owe me something that my son died of heroin? I, I don't know. I, I've never taken the victim perspective on anything in my life. And I've had a lot of things that have happened to me. It has nothing to do with my color. Right. Her- heroin right. doesn't have a color. Exactly. Um, but it's a simple fact that I was dealt a very unfortunate card in my life at age 50. Um, and I could have very easily became a very angry man, drank myself to death, uh, you know, got into all my addictions that I quit in my 30s, like my compulsive gambling things. I could have reverted back to, the, to, the, to that time, but I didn't. Something in me clicked. I stopped drinking. I exercised. I lost 40 pounds. I wrote a book, started a nonprofit, and blah, blah, blah. You know, here I am today at 55, and I'm probably the best place I've ever been in my life. Yet, I have two of my three sons here. I have one not with me. Right. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that in any context of this is about Jeff Johnston, that I'm some superhero or I'm I'm a narcissist or whatever. This isn't. This is about the average person out there going through their own trauma, their own abuse, something that happened to them, and the ability for them to find what I call a why. To find a why. Um there's a reason why giving up alcohol was very easy for me as, as a quote, I hate the word alcoholic, but that's the only thing I can think of as someone that liked to drink seven days a week. How's that? Um, there's a reason that I quit. It was my son. Very simple. That was my why. It, was, it wasn't a 12 step class I went to. It wasn't an online motivational speaker. Uh, it wasn't, you know, a, a sponsor. It was the fact that I just said, you know what? I'm doing something to honor my son the rest of my life. What's the toughest thing for me to do? And that would be to stop drinking. So I quit drinking. We, and for me, it was the easiest thing to do. You and I talked so about I'm, this. I'm, ch- I'm challenging my people, Anthony. I'm challenging my people. I'd say my people like I'm some preacher. <laughs> I'm challenging the people. I have, my only people are my family. Um, I'm challenging the people out there. Everybody has a story, yet everybody has a reason. So everybody has a why. You can find your why. It doesn't have to be a deceased child. It could be anything that's going to get you to make better choices in your life. Yeah, you and, you and I talked about this the last time we spoke um, when I referenced looking at adversity and trying to look for the lesson in it. And we fell upon together that maybe lesson isn't the right word. Maybe it's looking for the opportunity in it. And sometimes yeah. that's a lesson, right? So, um, you know, I believe when you know better, you can do better. And I think Maya Angelou was the one who said that. So when I have been faced with adversity, whatever that may be, whether that's, you know, family trauma or loss of a job or, you know, any number of the things that happen to us in our life, mm-hmm. I always personally look at it as what am I supposed to learn from this situation? What is mm-hmm. the universe trying to tell me what should I be doing differently um, and act from that center as opposed to, oh, these bad things are happening to me, mm-hmm. you know, poor me. And, and and that doesn't mean pulling yourself up by your bootstrings, you know, because certainly yeah. I'm affected by those things emotionally. You know, I have tough times like everybody else. Mm-hmm. But I look so at myself I. and I compare, I hate to use the word compare, but I do to my siblings and how they have dealt with the adversities in their lives Mm -hmm. and we're so polar opposite right i just i mean 
Yeah, I yeah. visit the past. I mean, I think it's just human nature. We think about things. I think about my mother who's deceased. I think about certain things that happened, but I don't live there. And, you know, when I go there, it's not about, um, it's not about opening up old wounds or refreshing that. Sometimes, of course, you feel sad. I wish my mother was here, of course, but she's not. Um, so, yeah, there's a tinge of sadness there, but I just, I don't, I don't look at it in that way. And so probably kind of like you, I struggle with that mindset and that viewpoint that people, you know, and I hate to use this term too, but can't move on, can't move forward. Yeah. And I don't think moving right. forward means you forget or Absolutely. the pain Absolutely. goes away, but you, you're missing out on your life if you live in the past. Yeah, I, I wrote about in the book um, uh, uh, a chapter that I, I originally had dedicated it to what I call spirituality. Although you and I have talked about this, I'm agnostic, so I, I'm not, I can't find another word. So I just kind of put in spirituality. Yeah. But I think for me, I've kind of got to the point in my life where behavior trumps belief. So in other words, if I'm talking to somebody and they tell me all their strong beliefs and beliefs and beliefs, but they're a jerk and they treat people bad and they're deceptive and they're not doing anything to contribute to society, but they have strong beliefs. Eh, I'm, I'm less in time. I'm less inclined to want to spend time around those people. Yeah. So I, I've kind of, I've kind of got this part in my book that I wrote. Um, I think it's called the struggle within that was the chapter. And I talked about, because I know people spend so much time arguing about God and real afterlife. And I'm, I'm at the point now where I don't know. And, and if you want to debate it, that's fine. But the reality is what are you doing today to make yourself better and the people around you? Exactly. That, that's a more important, that's a more important question. Does, does God exist? Yeah. You know, I, I'm not going to say it's a meaningless question, but it, the answer to me is kind of meaningless because even if God does exist, if you're still an asshole, then you're still an asshole. <laughs> I think, yeah. I mean, I, and, and if I, I, so here's my thought on this. I, in my book, I write about this. I say, whether or not you believe that there is a God or an afterlife, it shouldn't stop you from being a good human now. For example, if you're a man of God and you, have a celestial connection, you're pretty certain or you're absolutely certain that if you do good things on this earth, that you'll end up in a place called heaven and you'll be rewarded and be comfortable and be taken care of into infinity. You'll be immortal. If that's your belief and you, you somehow have some evidence for that yourself, then definitely you want to be a good person, right? Because the, the antithesis is hell. You know, hell is for the place that People don't subscribe to that belief. They're mean to people. They, they rape and pillage and steal yeah. and they murder and, and that's for hell. So, so if you're religion, if you're a religious person, then so be it. You really should be a good person just, just by definition. But if you're agnostic like me, then I tried to think to myself, well, how, how, how can morality be injected into somebody who doesn't believe in God? Well, very simple. And it's this, it's this concept, Anthony. If I don't believe in the afterlife, and I truly believe this is the one life I will ever get, ever, then I certainly want it to be the best that I possibly can. 
So I need to make sure that everything I do every day is to benefit the well-being of me and everybody around me so I can have the best enjoyable experience that I possibly can with the one life that I have. So I make a, an, I submit to the reader in the book, it doesn't really matter what you believe. What's more important is how you behave. So you could be religious, you could be an atheist, but you certainly can be a good human. Absolutely. And obviously we could, we could spend a lot of time on, on this. Yeah, subject. I know we have in the past we too. The you past. and I have. And so, you know, we got 30 minutes. We're good. Yeah, I'll, I'll share. I'm not uh, religious. I was, I was raised yeah. Catholic. Um, and for, it, it's just because it doesn't work for me. I respect mm -hmm. that others find um, whatever they find in that that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm spiritual in the sense that, you know, I do think that there's more. I don't know what that is. Um, I could be wrong. I don't have any proof. I, I think, mm -hmm. and I think I told you this before, there's a book that I read and in the book that talks about spirituality, it says, you know, a, a tree doesn't need to believe in photosynthesis to turn green. It mm -hmm. just happens, right? So, yeah. you know, I mean, I can believe in something um, without necessarily understanding it. And, you know, I, yeah. I don't put blind faith in it, though. I think right. that's the problem there is don't put blind faith in it. At the end of the day, very much like you, I think the purpose of being human is to ultimately let's just say there is a god right and if mm -hmm. we say the world and everybody is made in god's image then our purpose is to get to that place where we are like god whatever your concept of god is i don't believe yeah. personally you can do that in one lifetime um i think that's a series of lessons that you go through and it's not like um it's not like jeff that you know, I'm talking to here comes back, you know, again and again, and it's Jeff. I, I you know, I, I have a thought philosophy about all of that, but I think it's a growth, yeah. right? And if you look at people, right. you can kind of say, well, that's why we all are at a different place in our journey, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're all learning and hopefully the end result is we all end up in the same place, but how we get there is different. Right. So some right. of us are taking the jet. Some of us are taking the Greyhound <laughs> kind yeah. of thing. Um, but ultimately, yes, it's, you know, for me, it's always been about trying to do something good and, and recognizing that, hey, I don't always hit the mark. I'm, I'm not perfect. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm fallible. But if we kind of go back to that subject we were talking about of cancel culture, yeah. I don't believe yeah. in it. Um, you know, what I like to see from people is, do they own it? Right. They make a mistake, yeah. whatever that is. Do they own right. it? Do they take responsibility for it? Um, and do they do different going forward? There's a story I read about, um, I don't remember if it was her grandson or her son who was murdered and, um, you know, she ended up befriending and embracing his killer. She didn't forget mm -hmm. what he did, right? It didn't take mm -hmm. that away, but, 
you know, her, her reasoning was, you know, I'm not, I'm not impacting his life, his killer's life by hating him. All I'm doing is impacting my own life. I'm making my, whatever life I have left miserable. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, she could recognize that he had remorse and, and the circumstances in which, you know, this tragedy occurred. And so, you know, she leaned into it, if you will. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very important lesson in forgiveness oh, wow, because yeah. it's, I always believe that yeah. forgiveness isn't for the other person. Forgiveness is for you so you can move on, mm-hmm. right? It's a gift you give mm-hmm. yourself. I'm going to forgive you for whatever you did just so I can move on. doesn't mean I forget it. Wow. just means that yeah, I don't that's awesome, Anthony. I don't hold on to it. I don't live in that every day because it'll just eat you up and spit you out. That is, that is well said. Um, and it got me thinking about that experience I had where this person was upset with me because of the projects I'm doing. Right. And what I did, I put my phone down because I was on speakerphone with this person. And I took, I went back into meditation. I closed my eyes and I started breathing and I practiced something called meta meditation. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, where you think of a person, typically in meta meditation, you're thinking of somebody that you care about or are neutral about. In this case, I thought about the person I was having a conversation with or I was getting lectured to. I closed my, I was on, I was on, on the phone so they couldn't see me. I closed my eyes, started breathing, and I thought positive thoughts about the person that's saying horrible things to me. And it was so liberating to know, now they didn't know this, but I was in control of the situation. They owned everything coming out of their mouth. They owned. I had nothing to do with it. And so I went into about five minutes of just meditation, listening, listening, listening. And I thought... I care about you. I thought of all these empathetic words, compassion. And when we got done with the conversation, it it ended. And I thought to myself, wow, if I cannot get mad at all in the most insensitive thing a human being's ever said to me, then bring it on. Yeah. I, I am, I am invincible. And I've, and what I've learned through meditation and you made it, you said the same thing. I'm just kind of restating it in my words is that I learned through meditation to get in control of how I was going to react in this situation. Because the old Jeff Johnston, man, I wouldn't have, I would have been in two sentences. I would have been all over that. Just blam, bam, we arguing back and forth, yelling at each other would have ended bad. And, and then I would have won a day all mad. I probably would have cracked open some beer and got drunk and yelled at my kids. And, and, and this is the power of what you have over your mind. And it's simply, the key was, Anthony, is I realized... I was starting to get mad. I realized that this person was starting to say things with the intent to get me mad. And I just instantaneously, I've been meditating for three years now, so I've got myself down pretty good. When I get in a situation where I feel the blood pumping and I feel like I want to get mad, I just almost go into a comatose. I just kind of close my eyes and, okay, man, let's get, let's get through this. You know, right. Let's get through this. And the key isn't just dealing with the moment. 
it's all the time, all the time I spend after that, all mad and anxious and worked up. And then that collateral damage goes on to other relationships. Maybe you and I are going to go out for dinner uh, the next night and have a nice dinner and have a good conversation. Now I'm going to take that to the dinner. And I'm going to spend half an hour bitching to you about something that you had nothing to do with. Right. Now you're like, now you're affected. And that, that is a, that's a lesson in meditation in not really... It was less of me controlling my thoughts, Anthony, but more being aware of them. You follow yeah, me? I, I do because it's the, you know, it's the story that we tell ourselves, right? So everything comes from our past experiences and what has happened to us. And so we all have those, you know, conditioned reactions and it's only when we can recognize that we're being triggered by something that we that's can, a keyword triggered yeah, yep. triggered by something that we can change that i also tie it to you know the law of attraction in a sense of you know if you your reaction to that was to be angry and upset that's what you're also attracting into your life, yeah. right? So Good you're point. you're you're creating that. Um, what I often will say to people is, subconsciously, we have this tendency to attract or create the very situation that we think we're trying to avoid, right? Isn't that so true? And so it's because we are thinking about things in the wrong way. And so you have to be very intentional and thoughtful about, you know, what you put out into the world. Because, again, I believe, call it karma or law of attraction, whatever, I believe that you bring that back to yourself. You're not you're not bringing it to the person, right? I mean, if, if you're right. angry at somebody and you're not speaking to them, they don't know you're angry at them, right? You're not hurting them. You're hurting yourself. Now, sometimes I think that, you know, for our own well-being, and I have found this in my own life, you have to, you sometimes have to say, I can't have this person in my life, right? It doesn't mean that I don't care about them. It doesn't mean that, you know, I wish them any ill, um, but for my own well-being, whatever that may be, they, they just can't take up space. I just can't give them space. And that's okay. Um, I've had to do that with a number of people. And, you know, initially, the first time I remember doing it was very, very difficult, um, you know, emotionally to me very difficult because I felt like uh, I was somehow betraying, you know, the relationship or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, a, it's, it, it's about taking care of yourself so that you can put something positive back and give something positive back. I had a great uh, podcast interview early this week with uh, Jason Selk. Um, he owns Enhanced Performance Inc. down by the St. Louis area. And he's a motivational coach, keynote speaker, I mean, big time life coach guy. But he came up with this, um, this concept called Relentless Focus Solution, RSF. And in our interview, uh, I read his book real quick just to make sure I understood, you know, because he's, he's kind of clinical, but he's also very, um, he speaks in human terms as well. 
but he was talking about something that I thought is exactly what you just talked about. Expectancy theory. That which you focus on expands. Yes. And when you were talking about, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. The more you think about something, the harder it is to get away from it. And this is where kind of doubling back into meditation with this huge myth or I guess a misunderstanding is people will say, well, meditate, you know, I sit there when I meditate and I just, I can't control my thoughts. And what people don't realize is that that is not what meditation is. Right. It's the opposite. You're all you're doing is being aware of your thoughts. So if you're going to focus on trying not to think, what are you going to do? You're going to focus on thinking. Think. <laughs> I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. You're going to get hungry. I mean, well, it's, that's why it's, diets it's just, fail. <laughs> absolutely. You, you have to change your whole lifestyle. You got to change your whole lifestyle. And I, I've got a big thing on, on diets in my book, too, about why our country's the heaviest they've ever been. But we know more about eating better than we've ever had in the history of mankind. But we're the heaviest we've ever been. So expectancy theory, that which you focus on becomes. And it's like, that is true. That is definitely true. And so, as you said, if you're in a conversation with someone and you're going back and forth and, and you're arguing and arguing, you're spending your time focusing on it, the rest of the day, it's going to linger and it's going to affect everything that you do the rest of the day, especially if it's a real severe argument or something very sensitive. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, I guess as humans, we have to find a way. There's no question, Anthony, if you look at all the statistics across the board, and you and HR would know this better than anything, um, well-being is all-time low. Yes. Anxiety, all-time high. Depression, all-time high. Suicidal ideation, all-time high. Alcoholism, blah, 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 blah. But we all know more than we ever did about these things. There's more information. There's podcasts, webinars, books, tapes. There's every resource possible on the planet today with everybody connected. I mean... Well-being was better in the 60s when there was no internet and it took, you know, a, a day or two to get information from overseas. And today we can get information in one second from overseas and we're the most miserable we've ever been as a, as a human, especially in America. Um, well, thanks, so what gives? The, I, I think, how do, you, how do you think we fix this problem going forward? What, I think it's an individual answer, right? I mean, you have to recognize how you're being impacted by the barrage of information that we get. So, you know, if all you consume is reality television, the Kardashians, yeah. the Real Housewives, you know, that's <laughs> going to be, good that's going to, <laughs> yeah, that's going to become, you know, that's not good consumption, right? A little bit of that yeah. maybe isn't bad where you go like, but then you also have to put it into the perspective of, that's not real. I mean, we call it reality television, but it's it's really not real. Exactly. Right? It may not be scripted, <laughs> it's, uh... but it's edited and, you know, it's it's yeah. twisted, whatever. But the point is, you have to be aware of what it is you're consuming, not just what you're putting in your body, but what you're putting mm -hmm. in your mind. And too much of anything is not a good thing, right? Yeah, running is good for you. But too much running can be bad for you as well, right? It oh, can, absolutely. It can be absolutely. bad on your joints. It can be, you know, it can have other effects. And so as a society, you know, I don't think we have caught up with the whole technology and information that has, I mean, I, I'm just amazed because, you know, I would have never imagined ever in my life some of the things that we have today. I mean, 
you know, mm-hmm. when we grew up. And in fact, I had I had an employee who is a friend of mine say to me, who's quite a bit younger, what did you all do before cell phones? I said, well, you know, you would call the person that you were going to visit before you left the house. And you'd say, I'll be there in an hour. And then they would expect you. So you wouldn't text. Right. And if something happened, you would either find a pay phone or if you lived yeah. in a small town, you might actually knock on somebody's door and say, hey, can I use your right. phone? Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, it's crazy. crazy. It, yeah, it's insane. So, you know, we've adapted but have we really adapted in a way that is positive, right? I mean, everything has a, a positive and a negative to it. Right. So, you know, we, we don't always know um, what the other side of the coin looks like. Could we ever, I mean, do we think that the whoever it was, and it wasn't Al Gore, by the way, who invented the internet, <laughs> whoever invented the internet, I mean, do you think that they ever considered all of the no. ill that no. the internet would be used no. for? Right. No. no. Nobody probably no. gave that a lot of thought. So we have to be careful in, in how we use things and what we use them for and what we put into our mind. Um, and we have to yeah, take make, more... Making things... Go ahead. Sorry. We have to take more responsibility for that too, right? And and just say, well, I did it because I saw it on the internet. I mean, yeah. making things easier hasn't made things better. And it, in some cases, it hasn't even made it easier, right? Oh, good I point. Mean, good you point. know, I mean, when I started working, we didn't have personal computers, we didn't have email, mm-hmm. uh, we did memorandums uh when i was going to school we had a we didn't have a copier fax we had machine. a we had a rizzo machine i don't know if you know what that is remember um, the fax machines came out all rolled up in a ball yes. and you had to like and and the dot matrix printer you had to peel off all the edges i mean yep. yeah absolutely yeah. so it, it hasn't necessarily it, it's made us actually speed up as opposed to be able to slow down. Technology was supposed to make our lives simpler so we didn't have to work as hard, but we work harder now than we ever have in, uh, well, it may not be manual labor, it's a mental labor, if you will. I have a, I have a good book for you. Um, Anthony, Andy Norman, Mental Immunity. Okay. And I saw him on Joe Rogan's show three-hour show, really good podcast. I got the book. I started to read the book and it's no pictures and it's like one big chapter. And so with ADD, I immediately realized I can't read this book. So I went on Kindle or got the audio book. So I'm reading, I'm listening to the audio book and it's an awesome, awesome book about this concept you're talking about, Anthony, building up mental immunity for what he calls mind viruses, parasites of the mind. And you talked about the Kardashians. You could add Fox News, MSNBC News, um, you know, all the shows that, and I had one time someone tell me, I said, why do you, why do you watch this stuff? Well, don't you want to be informed? And I thought if, if not, if, if that is being informed, then I'd rather be uninformed. Yeah. You know, and I think there's something to say about the inability for human beings 
to build up defenses for mind viruses, for mind parasites. And it's so easy for us to work on our bodies, our strength, our appearance, uh, everything that we wear. We have all these, these defenses built up. But the one thing, the one thing we really ought to be focusing on, probably after your health, would be your, your mind and getting your mind to be able to see the difference between conspiracy theories and just flamed hate and, and, and vile uh, uh, agendas that are promoted out there. And for someone to sit back and say, I'm just not going to buy that. I'm not going to believe what someone told me. Right. And I was, I, I would suggest you, you get that book. Uh, it's really good. It's called, um, uh, mental immunity. Okay. I'll do and, that. uh, it's, it's already a big, a big bestseller. And I've seen the author on a lot of different podcasts, but I'm halfway through it right now. And I've written down two or three really good key points that I've now kind of sprinkled into some of my, my presentations and my podcasts and even my writings. You know, you had asked the question, how do we change that? The answer is so simple. You know, if people would stop consuming certain things, whether it's information, you know, whether it's a product, um, it wouldn't it wouldn't be there. I mean, it, it is because people consume this in such large quantities that it's available, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the bottom line. We, you know, as the consumer, you know, if I turn on CNN and that's all I watch 24 seven, you know, that's what they want, right? Be because yeah. that's, that's where they're making their money, whether the content is good or not. Um, I, th I think that we have to be, good consumers of information and to that point we have to say you know okay well you know yeah that's an idea but people what the problem is that people say oh yeah that conspiracy theory um i heard it on fox or i heard right. it on cnn what, wherever you heard it doesn't matter where you heard it if you don't try to balance that with a different point of view Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, I get it. That's, 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 is so one-sided, right? So I it's like you and I having too. a conversation where I go like, yeah, we come from different perspectives, but, you know, I'm willing to sit and listen to Jeff's opinion or position on something because he might have some information that I haven't come across yet. Yeah. And I might go, oh yeah, let me rethink that maybe I was wrong. Something I, th I thought of the other day, if you're too busy creating, you don't have enough time to consume. Yeah. So I am too busy to watch the news. And but, there are things there. Are th and now within con, I get I get a reader's digest version. I go yeah. to my internet, click on a button and I see everything I want to see right there. And I don't sit there for three hours and watch Fox news because I'm writing a blog. I'm working on my nonprofit. I'm working on my podcast. I'm talking to you. I mean, every single night this week, I've either had something I was doing for my project or I was on somebody's podcast every single night. Um, and so I, I, again, like we tell our kids, if you're busy, you won't get in trouble. Right. If you're in, if you're in sports, if you're active in, in choir, acting, speech, whatever. But if you quit all this stuff, you're probably going to get in trouble. Well, why would that change as adults? 
if we're <laughs> bored and we have nothing to do. It, it, it's to me, I think adults are the biggest hypocrites on the planet are adults. Don't drink, don't drink. And then you sit at home and you get drunk with your spouse every night. Yeah. Or, or, or you say, don't do this. Don't be on social media. And then at dinner, you're on your phone texting Anthony, you know, I mean, adults are just horrendous hypocrites it's and the, they talk out of both sides of their mouth. The do as I say, not as I do philosophy. And yeah. I think, you know, this is, this is, I go back to the whole leadership and the work I do as an HR professional. It's get making sure that leaders are modeling the behaviors that they expect of others. You know, mm-hmm. if you look at organizations, most organizations have some kind of mission statement or tenants or whatever you want to call them, right? They're these, how we behave. But too often they're just words on a piece of paper and a plaque on the wall. Right. It's when you walk into an organization and you can actually feel and see that those things are being lived and breathed. Um, And so, you know, I'm lucky to work for an organization that really does do those things because I've worked for plenty that don't. Um, Right. This is what I try to impart to leaders, right? Your employees are not your children. They're adults. Treat them as such and also model the behaviors that you're expecting of them. Because if all you have are terrible leaders, what do you think you're going to be? Yeah, no question. I mean, this is what I've seen in in companies. Behavior behavior trumps belief. I've had a bad boss because their boss is bad and their boss is bad and their boss is bad. And they're just modeling behaviors because you know, not addressing that as such is basically saying it's okay, right? Mm-hmm. If you, you know, if you cuss and swear at me and I don't address that, I'm, I'm saying that's okay behavior. One of my employees once said to me, you know, when he was coaching somebody, was he used the example of, would you let a stranger at the gas station talk to you that way? when he, this mm-hmm. person was having an issue with their employee, right. and she said, well, of right. course not. Then why are you letting your employee do that, right? right. Why are right. you letting your kid do that? Um, you know, it's, it's a mutual, it's a setting of expectations. That's a, I love that word, expectations. Um, someone asked me the other day, yeah, I, I, we're already at an hour. It's amazing how fast this time. Went, <laughs> yes, Anthony. it is. You, you and I, you and I seem we could talk forever. Um, so I was asked by a friend of mine, well, Antarctic Mike, who's doing a documentary kind of on my story. He was out here a couple last week, and um, he said, "What's your one nugget, Jeff? If you were to tell your whole thing you've been through, your whole journey before your son died, after your son died, the loss of a marriage, all these things that you've been through, what's the one word?" And I struggled between two words expectations that you just said and preparedness. And in a way, I think they're, they're very similar because I think the success to well-being improving in our world is expectations and being, being prepared, preparedness. And what I mean by that is when you're a child and you see adults, you see how dysfunctional they are. You see them arguing and fighting and, 
and you know all the financial problems married couples have arguing all the 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 nefarious things that go on kids teenagers see their parents going through this young adults see this so you know this is coming you know impending doom is on its on, it's on your doorstep and yet you go through life expecting these things not to happen and that to me is that's the problem we have with each generation getting worse and and not learning from the previous generations because no one's really sat down with kids and said this is what's coming, but I'm going to show you. I'm going to teach you. I'm not going to tell you. But I'm going to show you because I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to do all these things. You're going to follow me, my path. If more parents did that, I think a generation or two, we could start seeing 55,000 people that died of opioid overdoses the year Seth died. Last year, we had 90. Yeah. Suicide is way up. I think we can see these things start to turn, but it's going to be parents stepping up and becoming adults being being you know being what we should be and that's role models to our kids and not be getting drunk every night and then telling our kids not to drink or you know just whatever those examples we could do i think expectations need to be realistic kids are way too coddled today i think my, my personal assessment is and then preparedness empowering kids to have this quiver of arrows that every time they get in trouble boom you know whether it's god whatever right. meditation uh, working out, running triathlons, reading, writing a book, something that keeps your mind active and learning and busy and not be sitting there bored watching three hours of Fox News. I think that's the death nail. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, and to kind of wrap up, I think the other thing we yeah. need to start doing is what you and I are doing right here. We need to start having more conversations, not... Mm -hmm arguments, not necessarily debates, but let's just sit down and talk more, right? Let's have honest, heartfelt conversations um, it, instead of sitting in front of the television or the computer or your phone or, or whatnot. Let's start talking to each other so that we can, you know, begin to understand. I, someone, one of my friends was trying to convince me that all this watching, you know, Fox News and listen to the, and I'm not picking up Fox News, it's all of them. Listening to all this stuff is like, you know, well, you know, I know more about this stuff. Aren't you staying informed? And, and I said, you know what, I'd rather be happier, but dumber. Yeah. It, I mean, that's what it comes down to. I think that, I'd rather be stupid, but be extremely happy person. I think that's where the term ignorance is bliss <laughs> yeah. comes from. <laughs> Exactly. Hey, listen, man, I've enjoyed this immensely. I know you and I are, uh, are, are definitely going to be uh, active partners in working with mental health addiction, increasing the well-being of, of society and contributing the best that we can. Um, how, what's next for Anthony? And then how do people reach you? And then we could put a bow tie on this. So uh, people can reach out to me through my website, which is interviewsandmore.com com all one word interviews and more and you can check out my interviews and my articles uh, you can reach out to me my email contact is out there as well uh, I'm working on continue to work on interviews and articles and I've got a uh, other project I'm working on which is uh, a screenplay which will be my mm, first awesome I'm very excited about awesome. that so that we'll sounds see what the future brings. Yeah. Well, I have no doubt it'll be it'll be a good good product. So, um, hey, listen, man, have a have a good rest of your weekend. And um, as always, I tell all my guests, 
live undeterred and appreciate the friendship and, and everything that you're doing. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you and I will, uh, we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Jeff.